This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path, introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. So-called tiny houses are all the rage these days. Environmentalists tout them as being friendly to the planet. First-time potential homeowners marvel at the small footprint and the affordability. And even television networks are working feverishly to get tiny home building and renovation shows on your screens. But one man has come up with a tiny home that is rather unique. Kurt Hughes is a naval architect who has built himself a lunar lander tiny home. And yes, that moniker aptly describes the kind of house he built. It's an Earth-based replica of the craft that took six Apollo missions to the moon's surface. Only this one is located not on Tranquility Base, but rather along the Columbia River in the earthly state of Washington. Why take a house from the NASA playbook? When tiny houses first came out as being popular maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I saw that they were very heavy. They were, what, 10 to 15,000 pounds, very weak. Uh, one tipped over near my spaceship, and because it tipped over in the wind, it had to be destroyed. Part of the spaceship was carried by a mini tornado, 120 feet, no problem. It landed. So I wanted to use what we do in boats to make a much better tiny house. And in fact, the spaceship weighs about 2,300 pounds, which is a fraction of what the uh, typical tiny house weighs. I want to do something special also. Any, anybody can do a cube, but I wanted to do an homage to a time when anything was possible, and that was really the case back then. So, let's give the deets on the size of this tiny home. It clocks in at around 250 square feet of floor space, not counting the bathroom. That's about the size of a standard tiny house. But this house has a little more to offer, including an observation deck and very large windows. So, how exactly is it made? And out of what? It's made of SIP panels with a four or five millimeter plywood on each face and three inches of foamular structural foam. And then joined at the corners with bioxyl roving, which is a fiberglass that has the same strength as A36 steel. And so it's very light, strong, and already insulated structure. The bedroom is downstairs. It's like 10 feet in both directions, well, six directions. It has an opening in the middle of the main floor. So you, you can stay in touch between top and bottom floors. But that gives it more space than the square footage would suggest. The two-person deck facing the river, sit out there, have a drink on it. It's great. Since this tiny home isn't meant to fly, then what keeps it on the ground? Cables, just like we have rigging on a sailboat. The wind occasionally gets 300 miles an hour there. One day it tipped over five semi-trucks. So I definitely have it anchored to the ground with steel cables. So you're able to withstand winds that will topple trucks, but your house is still standing? Yes. yes. Well, it's got wires holding it, so yeah, it has to. Kurt didn't have any plans to go on. 
He just went to your basic, friendly neighborhood model shop. You know what? I bought a model at a model shop and looked at it. And there were a lot of things that had to be done looking different to meet the building code. And it had to meet the building code. So there was that. The building department was very skeptical. And in fact, they made me hire a PE to approve the design because they had no experience in active uh, construction. And the PE convinced them, and that was that. The major concern for those at the building code office and the PE, or professional engineer that they sent his way, was the fact that the house is built, as Kurt mentioned earlier, without a frame. But after a thorough check, the PE was convinced that this structure was solid and secure. Meanwhile, did Kurt even think of getting in contact with the folks at NASA? I've never thought of doing that. I suppose I should. The closest I came is when my daughter took a picture of it, of my model, to a space camp with astronaut Fred Hayes, and he he, uh, signed it. (laughs) That's the closest I came to talking to NASA. Kurt clearly is a very unassuming guy. But surely something as structurally unique as a tiny lunar lander home must make heads turn in vacation country on the banks of the Columbia River. No, not really. Nobody really discusses it. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm my, you know, my neighbors helped me with the metalwork and things like that. In fact, some of the local tribes, I talked to them, they'd driven past it a thousand times and they'd never seen it. I think people are pretty busy there. Because I tell you, if I saw it while driving by and I was totally unaware of it, I would stop and knock on your door. I would need to yeah. see this. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, just last weekend, somebody did that who was a designer of the original Lunar Lander. And he was in a Tri-Cities and he saw it in the paper and he had to come up and see it. It was, it was great meeting him. He was amazed. He said it has a real kitchen and everything. <laughs> Kurt visits his Lunar Lander tiny home about two or three times a month. So it's like a cottage getaway for him. He doesn't have plans to sell it. However, the folks at Zillow have appraised it. I think Zillow said 136000 <laughs> But you're not planning to sell at all, correct? No, no, no way. Uh-uh. I can just see the Zillow listing now. I mean, this house has everything going for it. Small footprint, yet large bedroom, great kitchen, large windows, and a deck. It has everything you'd want in a lunar landing home and more. In fact, Zillow could tout that it has one thing that an actual lunar lander doesn't have. Atmosphere. If you want to see more of Kurt Hughes' tiny moon home, you can check out an Architectural Digest YouTube video where it's profiled. Just search for the title, Inside a Tiny House That Looks Like a Spaceship. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Business Beyond Bizarre. Our recent flirtation with global death, known as the pandemic, has changed a lot in our lives. We've had to deal with lockdowns, quarantines, working from home, remote communications, and the difficulty of getting goods and services because of supply chain issues. And regardless of what business you're in, there was probably something that you needed that was pretty hard to get. Can you imagine if you were an artist who painted for a living and you couldn't get any paint? That's the quandary that artist Linda Finstad of Edmonton, Alberta, was faced with. But as the old saying goes, 
Necessity is the mother of invention. So Linda got inventive. I was out of some of my colors. I typically paint with acrylics and the stores were all closed. And right at the beginning, we had no idea when they were going to be open again. So I thought, well, I don't want to just sit around doing nothing. So I started experimenting and I was looking around and trying to use what I've got. And I tried all kinds of things, but coffee was my definite favorite. And it's very addictive, but it makes fabulous paint. Absolutely fabulous paint. And that's how Linda Finstad became the coffee artist. And yes, coffee can be very addictive. Linda has created over 1,000 coffee paintings. But this aha moment didn't come in a flash. There was a lot of trial and error. Well, just so you know, you can't paint with ketchup or mustard. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) Well, I tried teas as well, but tea doesn't have as much pigment. Coffee's really good because you can build layer upon layer with it. But teas just didn't have the right pigments because I'd got lots of tea in the cupboard, all different flavors. And technically they should have worked, but they just didn't. So what is it about coffee that works? Whereas something else like, say, cocoa powder would not? The key and what I learned by experimenting was anything with sugar in it. So like you mentioned cocoa powder, that's got sugar in it and probably a little bit of milk powder too. And anything like with the milk powder can go moldy and it becomes sticky. It doesn't dry to a hard finish. Whereas the coffee dries to um, a really shiny, hard finish. It doesn't fade. It doesn't run. It's fabulous. Now that Linda has mastered the process, what exactly is the process? I use instant coffee. So just any old instant coffee will do. And I have a little plastic palette. The ones that you can get from the dollar store with the little wells. I put a few granules in one, a few more in the next. And I make cowboy coffee in the third a little bit of boiling water in each little well. And that gives me three shades. And with three shades of brown, I can create highlights and shadows. And if you can create highlights and shadows, you can create shape and form. So that's all you really need. And exactly how much coffee does it take to do one painting? Okay, so when I make up my little palette, I'd use two teaspoonfuls. And I'd maybe get a couple of paintings out of that. So it does go a long way. It does, yes, it does. Linda still paints with acrylic, but the question has to be asked, which is more expensive, coffee or paint? Oh, paint by far. Coffee's way cheaper, (laughs) way cheaper. When you buy artist-grade acrylic paints, they're really quite expensive, but any old coffee will do. Linda was a very successful painter before the pandemic, before she had to dig into her pantry to find something to paint with. But now that she's the coffee artist, she is seeing even more success. It's been phenomenal. I started at the beginning of the pandemic and and what I did, I was painting angels. My angels aren't the typical angels you see on Christmas cards. My angels have got big bums, frizzy hair and even bigger attitudes. And I was posting them every day on Facebook and they were kind of my release. I used the angels to say what I was kind of thinking, you know, and blame them. (laughs) (laughs) And people really liked their sassy attitudes. And they started asking me, did I do greeting cards? Well, I've got to tell you, I had the worst attitude in the world about making greeting cards. It's a little bit like the actress who doesn't want to do commercials, right? (laughs) Anyway, they bugged and bugged and I thought, oh, for goodness sake. Okay, 
So I started doing a line of greeting cards, which I know it sounds trite, but it changed the whole course of my art career. Because I did the greeting cards, now stores wanted to stock them. And it was almost like it was an easy in, if you will. And since the beginning of the pandemic, I've created a whole line of greeting cards. I've filled five books. There's another one on the way, all illustrated with coffee art and prints and magnets and coasters. I found a way to turn coffee into cash. It's really kind of cool. And with all of her success, you'd think that she'd hear from at least one coffee company. No. (laughs) No. I did write to them, but they didn't even respond. I even posted pictures on their Facebook pages, but they're not interested. I guess I'm small potatoes, right? (laughs) Well, with all the media attention that she's getting from magazines, newspapers, major television networks, radio, and hey, this show, I get the feeling that at least one coffee company will wake up and smell their product and reach out to her. I know, right? I could be their token artist. You'll certainly help them sell more coffee because, like you said, you're not a coffee drinker, but you're buying coffee. Absolutely. And tons of it. I mean, it takes a lot of coffee to make a thousand paintings. Meanwhile, did Linda start a trend with her coffee art? And how does she feel about other people taking up this creative way of using the bean? Well, I I didn't invent this, to be honest, but I am trying to encourage others to have a go with it because it's so easy and it's an easy entry into art. So I do little workshops and classes. Um, During the pandemic, I went to 15 different seniors homes and gave free workshops to the seniors. And now how I could get around that was because they were all classed as one household and I was just one visitor. So I could go in and do coffee workshops for the seniors who absolutely loved it. But I'm trying to get it so that coffee art is a real thing, that it gets the recognition and respect that other mediums get. So I started a little Facebook group called Coffee Art Community, where people can post their coffee art. And I'm going to do my damnedest to try and make it a real thing. And finally, one has to ask, on a sliding scale, what's the percentage of coffee that she drinks as opposed to using for her art? (laughs) I'm British. Can you not tell by the voice? Oh, of course. I drink tea. (laughs) (laughs) The only way I can drink coffee is if it's half and half. Half Bailey's, half coffee. If you want to see Linda's art, or better yet, buy some of her art, you can head to the website famouscoffeeartist.com. I think you'll like them a latte. Words cannot express how good they are. Next time on... Business Beyond Bazaar. We'll meet a man who has made a lively hobby of playing dead. He has a very popular TikTok account called Living Dead Josh. And he's even been on a slab on an episode of CSI Vegas. But you can't hear it now. You'll just have to hold your breath. And we'll visit the Chicago area, where you'll meet the owner of the Sock Monkey Museum to talk to the woman who holds the Guinness record for the most sock monkeys in the world. I guess she's got more than a barrel. Well, somebody's going ape for sock monkeys. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fairplay. Play.